Um, today, we are going to be continuing through Acts. Uh, last week, we talked about roles. We talked about um, just different responsibilities that we have within the church. We talked about some of the specific ones that we find within Scripture, deacons and elders and apostles and teachers and prophets and these different things that Scripture gives a little bit more information on. But this idea that each and every one of us does have some role within God's community, some design that he has for us as an individual that's revolves around the unique giftings that he's given to each and every one of us. And to be able to be content in what God has given us and what he has directed us into and be able to go before him and say, Lord, what do you, what do you have for me within this season for this time with what you've given me? Um, and actually today is a bit of a sharp turn from that. Uh, continuing on, we're going to be looking at blind spots, uh, things that most people don't like to hear about. Um, these things that are going on in our lives that have just kind of been, we're so used to, whether from our culture or our tradition or our family values, that we don't even realize we're doing them or that we hold to them. And then someone points it out and it tends to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so there's going to be a little bit of that today. So I'm going to just warn you now that that's coming. Uh, but the, it's healthy to actually be able to see our blind spots. And that's actually about being a humble follower of Christ as being willing to receive healthy input that's for our benefit, for building up and our maturing. A reminder from last week that Stephen had been doing great signs and wonders. He'd been preaching in different synagogues, been trying to bring people to an understanding faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. And there was a few people that didn't like this. Uh, the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia. And they couldn't stand up against the arguments of Stephen. And they didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like the changes that he was talking about. And when you can't win through your arguments, people tend to cheat. And that's exactly what they're doing. They went and found false witnesses, people to bring up claims against him to try to stir up everybody else against Stephen. They were accusing him of speaking against the temple and the law and that Jesus would destroy this place and change the customs of Moses. So that's what we're leading into this week. He's been brought before the Sanhedrin. He's basically in court on trial for these crimes, and he's going to be asked to defend himself. And so that's what's going to happen today. So as a brief, brief synopsis before we jump into it, because it's a really long passage, is that Stephen's response to the rulers is going to take them on a historical journey through actually several thousand years. It's going to cover most of Genesis, most of Exodus, bits of Joshua, and into the future as well. He's going to remind Israel that they have consistently rejected the leaders that God has given to them. They have consistently gone their own ways due to stubbornness and jealousy. Remind them that they have veered from the worship of God over and over again and gone into idolatry. And he's going to return their own charges towards him upon themselves. And they're not going to like that. And so some of the major themes we're going to cover is that God isn't tied to any particular place. That idolatry isn't an outdated issue. And we're going to look at the heart of the matter between all of this. Um, the major areas that I've derived a lot of my research for this week were from the New Testament, New American Commentary, the Tyndale New Testament Commentary, and actually a wonderful resource that was given to me recently um, by one, a member of our body, Casey Webb, and it's versebyverseministry.org, where we're actually able to go into every chapter, and they give this wonderful outline and in-depth look of what is happening in that chapter. So if you've ever been in that spot where you're looking, reading through something, you're thinking, I, what is going on here? 
And it is an excellent resource for that. It's not necessarily going to give you a lot of application, which is what we're going to do today, but it does give a nice in-depth, I have a clear contextual picture of what's going on in this chapter. So I'm going to read all 60 verses right out the gate, and then we'll comment afterwards. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after this, or, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on the first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them, and they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame and fire of the bush. Then Moses saw it. He was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to, to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and who have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. 
This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, whom you, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing the wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it's written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, and image, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers in the tent of witness and had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the day of J David who found, in, found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for God, the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. And that's where we'll end today. And we're going to see how they respond next week, and they don't like it. And this idea, these different big ideas that come from this, that he's weaving through this entire account because he's giving a response to the crimes that have been accused against him. He's giving a response saying that you are reviling this temple in this place because one of the big things that he's going to point out here is that Israel has shifted away from their focus and their identity and that they have become so nationalistic, so much about being Israel, they forgot what it means to be Israel. Ones that are called by God. Ones that have the true and living God with them. Not people who have the temple. Not people who live in a particular place. Not people who have the law, but people who have God with them. And they've lost sight of who they were actually meant to be. And their focus has shifted. And they're no longer defending God. They're defending their nation. They're defending their traditions. They're defending their principles over God himself. And so the first thing that Stephen talks about is that God isn't actually tied to a particular place because you're getting so caught up in the temple, in this giant structure that God didn't tell you to build. God told you to build the tabernacle, and the tabernacle's mobile. It was meant to go with you where you were at, and God would be with you wherever you went. 
And yet you've made so much to do about this giant structure and all of this ornateness about it and the symbol of mighty Israel as opposed to what you were meant to be in God. Because God was in Mesopotamia with Abraham. He was in Egypt with Joseph. He was in Mount Sinai with Moses. He was with his people where they were at. It's not about the place. It's about the people. Jesus said this to the woman at the well when they start talking about where you can worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. In John 14, Jesus says this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Acts 1, when he commissions and Jesus commissions them saying, it is not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. It's never tied to the particular place. It's tied to the people that serve God. And we can get so caught up in the place and we're not even exempt from it now. How many people have you ever heard in your life say, no, I couldn't come to church because I'm going to catch on fire. If I walk through those doors, I'm going to get struck by lightning that somehow this building is holier than another place on this planet. And we just so want that to be the case. That let, let's keep all the holiness in this place. I'm going to put God in this box because that works better for me. I don't like the idea of God being with me everywhere because it means I'm accountable everywhere. And so we have this tendency, I, I want to have that be the holy place and the rest of the place be where I'm just me. But that's not the case. It's not, it's not ever about the place. It's about the people. People who are obedient to the Lord. People whose hearts are turned towards God. People who are selfless, laying down the desires of their life for the kingdom of God and watching that move forward. And we should be able to know when people are God's people. He told us what that would look like. In John 13, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In Romans 12, Paul explains it this way, Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, 
but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how the people of God are to be seen, how he desires us to define ourselves, how when the people look out in the world, this is what they should see. And there's two narratives that we have out in the world right now. We have their narrative of who Christians are and what Christianity is. And I would say by and large, whenever I hear in any sort of mainstream media or film or movies or anything, that's not it. That's not how they describe Christians to be. Mostly they describe them to be bigots, close-sighted, hypocritical. Do we want that to be the narrative that people actually believe? Because the other narrative out there in the world is our very lives. If we call ourselves a follower of Christ, then what you live exemplifies something. Is it this? We should all ask ourselves that question. If this is what the people of God are to look like, if I ask someone else in my life, is that what they would say of me? And if not, is there something I need to go before God and let go of and allow him to change within me? To go before God and say, I, I've got some work to do. And by I, I mean you, Lord. I need you to work within me on this because clearly I haven't done well myself. Because I want to look like I'm a person that follows after you. Amen. I want to look like a person that loves as you've called to love. I want to look like a person who lives as you've called to live. So work within me, Lord. Because there are some things here that I need to work on. And no one's exempt to it. Some of us have strengths in one area and not with others. I am not a zealous person. I don't really get excited about anything. I'm not fervent. But I would like God to work within me in those things, to give me a deep passion as he called us to. Where is the area that God has worked in you? Because as we consider this, what would, the, what would the entire world be like if we lived this way? If everyone described us this way? Yeah. How would that change the very face of our nation? if people thought of the people of God as the people of God. I've heard this before of different people as they've looked in at other people in my life who they're, they, are, they are fervent after the Lord. They're doing the best they can to rely on the Spirit, to walk with Him day by day, to be changed by Him. And when trials and tribulations and difficult things come, they stand as a witness of Christ and people will say of them, they have something I don't have. How could they possibly still have joy and hope during this difficult time? How could they be happy with so little? And it's in those times that we have the opportunity to say, because I have everything 
because I have Christ. Christ has forgiven me. Christ promised he would be with me and has delivered on that promise. The Holy Spirit walks with me every single day. What more in this world could I possibly need? And it's that great opportunity in those moments when the world looks at us as the people of God and they ask that question that we get to share Christ. We get to share that very thing that their soul cries out for, that longing for more that they don't know how to fill because the world can't fill it. But distraction takes us away from this. When the world starts pulling at us and the different things that go on, we don't witness this as well. And which leads me to the next point of idolatry is not an outdated issue. These things that lead us astray, the people that are rejoicing in the works of their own hands, this idea of worshiping something other than God, the focus being taken away of God, from God, and we end up looking like everybody else. And I know you might be saying, Joe, I, I don't have little idols in my house that I set up in a special place and I give a tribute to, and that when I'm going through difficult times in my life that I go and I bow down to and I seek wisdom out and try to find truth in and some discernment to solve through my life, and I don't have any special rooms with sculptures or things that I can sit before and look upon and try to find insight and wisdom to. But idolatry is alive and well. It looks different than it used to. I'm going to read a few quotes, and I'm going to let them speak for themselves in 2024, the longest Super Bowl game will also go down as the most watched program in U.S. television history. According to Nielsen and Adobe Analytics, Kansas City's 25-22 through to 22 overtime victory over San Francisco on Sunday night averaged 123.7 million viewers across television and streaming platforms. To give some context, that's a third of the United States. The sh this, that shattered last year's mark of 115.1 million for Kansas City's last play victory over Philadelphia. From 2022, more than 30 million people watched Apple's 2022 event on YouTube. Apple unveiled the iPad in 2010, Apple Watch 2014, AirPods 2016, with more than 1.2 billion iPhones sold. Apple has become a core part of people's lives around the world. Apple generated more than $394 billion in net sales last year. And since its January 2007 unveiling of the first iPhone, the company's share price has risen more than 5,000%. From 2021... Netflix currently has 209.18 million subscribers, up from only 24.3 million subscribers in 2011. Netflix generated $24.99 billion in 2020. As of June 2021, Netflix has already generated $14.5 billion in revenue. Netflix subscribers spend an average of 3.2 hours per day watching content on the platform, and their mobile app for iOS and Android was downloaded 16.4 million times in June alone. 
And the last quote, the average person checks their phone every 12 minutes or approximately 80 times per day. 44% of adults in the US say that not having their phone gives them anxiety. Cell phones cause more than one out of five car accidents. Almost two thirds of children spend four hours or more per day on their phones. 77% of Americans own a smartphone. Teenagers spend an average of nine hours a day on their smartphone. 66% of them feel anxious when they don't have their phone. Idolatry is worshiping something other than God. And within there, I have time as an indicator, but I actually, it was afterwards that I put a slash by time and I also put identity. Is that when we find we're worshiping something other than God, it's gonna have to do with our time and our identity as a focus towards it. Because this is a wonderful tool. The at a modern marvel. And it's perfectly fine as it remains a tool in your life. But when it starts coming into our identity, when I start having anxiety at my separation from it, leave your house without your phone today and see how you feel when you get to your first stop. Somehow it has become a part of who I am. Anybody just, I'm an iPhone person. I'm an Android person. That's finding identity in the product. Any of you sports fans? No. No one's wanting to admit that right now. <laughs> Don't pick on me! <laughs> Anybody ever use the phrase, we are going to the Super Bowl? Unless you bought tickets? No, you're not. <laughs> this idea that somehow I'm a part of the team? I'm sorry, you are not. <laughs> and yet identity is found in that team. And it's not restricted to sports or phones or TV. It can be money, it can be children, it can be your family, it can be your job, it can be hobbies, it can be fitness, it can be your home or your property or your possessions. Things that get between you and God. When they start monopolizing your time and your identity, when you start willingly choosing them over God. And as an example, we often live very busy, very full lives. And at the end of the day, we have a little bit of time, or at the beginning of the day, we have a little bit of time. And how do we spend that time? If this is all the time you have for a free moment, is it going to, any of it going to be given to the Lord? Or do we get to the end of that busy, full day and go, you know, I'm just going to binge watch some Netflix. Am I just going to zone out on my phone for an hour? Am I just going to go on to the YouTube black hole? Am I going to get my sports updates as opposed to a single moment with the Lord? Am I going to forego going to gather with the believers on, on Sunday and worship because I've got a run that I've got to do? I'm training for a marathon. The big game's on today. We have five children enrolled in 18 sports, Joe. Are we going to forego the gathering of the believers for that? Now, I've heard people use the defense that Sunday is not the only day to worship, and you are absolutely right. 100% agree with you. Sunday is not the only day to worship. We are not tied to the law in that way. But my question is, 
Are you worshiping God on a different day when you choose not to go on Sunday? Because I 100% agree with you. As long as you're actually still worshiping the Lord throughout the week and gathering with believers throughout the week. But so often we like the excuse and we don't follow through with what it actually means. The excuse made me feel better about my choice to forego. But do I walk in that actually? Do I still make the effort to gather regularly? Out of Deuteronomy 6, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them on a sign on, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Lord and His ways should be a regular part of our life. They should be something we discuss together, that we are thinking about together, that it's a part of our life, a part of our normal conversations. Out of Exodus 20, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Out of Matthew 22, Jesus is asked a question, Teacher, which is the greatest great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Is this your identity? If that sums it all up, if the, all the law and all the prophets is this, is that me? Do I love God with everything? Would it be unfathomable to me to miss my time with God? Completely out of the question. How could I possibly conceive it? I love God with all of me. And you're asking me to give up some time with God? You're crazy. I'm going to love those around me. I'm going to show Jesus to everybody around me because that is who I am. Is that my identity? which takes us to the heart of the matter. Stephen is speaking to the people of his generation, saying, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And I considered this and I considered this passage. And I'm not talking about this because of any issue within our church that I see. It's not like I'm, it's a special interest and I'm weaving it in here. I'm talking about this because this is Acts chapter 7. I feel we are a very healthy community. We're a very healthy church. But I have this notion as I read through this is let this not be us. Let us not become these people, people that began well, began with good intentions and veered away. 
allowed the world to shift our focus, to allow culture to shift our focus away from what, who we really are. Out of Matthew 7, it says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Jesus confronts the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23 throughout this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We have to ask the question, where is my heart at? Who am I actually at my inward being? Not what I'm just trying to do, not just am I following the steps, but who am I actually? Who am I allowing God to make me into? What is God looking for from me? And so I'm going to actually just let the passage that Stephen quoted out of Isaiah 66 speak to this before we reflect together. It says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Would you stand with us?